All right, friends, ladies and gentlemen, a formal welcome back to the Kabbalah of the Matrix. This is the series that we have designed just for your learning pleasure and for the expansion of your mind through these incredible Kabbalistic ideas. Of course, the Matrix is that great trilogy of films soon to be... I don't know what you call four. Trilogy is three. What's four? No idea. But it was, at least until very recently, that trilogy of films that explored the nature of reality and the question, what if reality is not at all what it appears? What if this is not real at all? There were three films. The first one, which premiered in, I believe, the spring of 1999, there were three films that appeared over the span of a few years, and the fourth, the fourth film in the matrix in the matrix uh, in the matrix, I guess, series, will be coming out December twenty second. I actually recently saw, recently, as in like two days ago, I saw a fantastic interview uh, between Keanu Reeves. Carrie Ann Moss and The Verge. If you're familiar with The Verge, you know what I'm talking about. The Verge is a technology website. And there was a great interview there with uh, the stars of The Matrix, or some of the stars of The Matrix, at least Keanu and Carrie Ann. The question about um, virtual reality and games, gaming that's real, and movies perhaps in the future that you can create your own ending using the actors, using the likenesses of the actors, the idea that actors can license their image to have films produced with them playing scenes after they've passed away. Are you with me on this? Yes. You guys familiar with deepfakes? Yeah. We'll all be familiar with deepfakes at some point. At some point uh, in the... Oh, Joel, look at you. Look at you in the Matrix. Joel Alpert is in the Matrix. Loving that. You know what? I really, we should have done a course... Yeah, we should have done a course kit where everyone gets a background. We could all be themed, but I don't know. Didn't happen. At least not, not this round. Okay, so just, just to get back to this. Just to, just to get back to what we're talking about over here. Um, the, the, um, the, the notion of... The notion of... of, uh, of People appearing not as they initially are, but as the producers want them to be is, 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 is mind-boggling. You can take a series of photos, still photos or videos, run it through a machine, and the machine can create a virtual, essentially a virtual likeness of that person, mimicking their appearance, their facial movements, and you can run voice, you know, uh, clips of audio, and it can simulate the audio. Um, uh, the, 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 sound, the sound of that person, you can essentially create movies with actors that did not actually play out the scene. You can have this completely digitized from beginning to end without any actual human acting in real life. It's incredible what technology is doing and can, can do and, and is already doing. And it's, uh, it's already appearing. Anyway, I mentioned this just parenthetically because Look, our, our discussion in this course is all about reality, the nature of reality. And what I'm trying to say is even in what we call real life, the nature of reality and the nature of what's real and what's not real 
is um, the boundaries of that are being tested, right? It's not going to be too long um, in the future where you'll see a video and you won't know, you won't be able to tell if that video is real or if it's not real. You with me on this? Is it real or is it not real? Did somebody actually say that? Or do they appear to have said that, but it's not actually real? Dina Malka, there is no textbook for this course. I am sharing the text for this course. I sent out the email after this, uh, after the first class with the with this with the student text, and we do the same after tonight's class as well. Okay, so my point is that the the boundaries of what's real and what's not real are being tested and are being pushed, and and technology is is doing something that is absolutely incredible. So what we're doing here is taking a look at all of this. All of these questions, these kind of existential questions, what is reality, what is real, are we real, is any of this real, are we in a matrix ourselves, we're looking at this through the lens of Kabbalah. Because in the matrix, in the opening scenes of the matrix, Neo, Keanu Reeves, who plays the character named Neo, discovers that what he believes is real life is not actually real, it's just a computer simulation. And what's really real is something outside of that simulation. But as you're in the simulation, it seems so real. And in last week's class, I shared with you teachings from Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy that say, essentially, that you and I are also living in a matrix. Not also. You and I are living in a matrix of sorts, in a type of reality that is not absolute reality. It's not essential reality. It is of a created nature. So to, to quickly rewind what we did last week and then launch into the new ideas for this week. We basically said last week that everything that exists in our reality is powered and created by divine code. Code, C-O-D-E. And what is... What is the substance of this divine code? It is the letters of the divine utterances that create this reality. So God creates by speaking, so to speak. Right? God doesn't have a physical body. God is not limited to our paradigm and our matrix. But God somehow, somehow projects this reality into existence using articulations of speech, using letters and language this is the code of existence. Our existence, our framework exists as a sort of matrix, a certain simulation within which we operate. Simply spoken, God, or what we would call in this class the source, with a capital S, the source exists outside the construct and outside the limitations that we exist within this simulation. So, for example, whereas we are bound by time and space, and what I mean by that is we exist in this moment, not a past moment, and we exist in this space and not a different space, outside of this matrix, those rules don't apply. In the source or to the source, those limitations do not serve as limitations. So, in classic spiritual, Jewish spiritual language, we would say the following statement. God is not limited by neither time nor space. And that's a very 
religious sounding way of saying that the source is not subject to the limitations of the matrix. That's the way it is. The source creates, spawns, formulates the simulation called the matrix, but the source is not at all bound by those same rules, which is why, again, using more classic Jewish language, God exists outside the paradigm of existence, outside the paradigm of creation. So just to put this in, in other terms, the, uh, the opening of the Bible, I feel like it's a pretty famous verse. The opening of the Bible, the opening of the Torah begins as follows. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. My friends, this is all talking about within the matrix. Why? Because we're talking about a beginning. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. In the beginning. Okay. Beginning. Beginning of what? What type of beginning? You see, beginning only begins as we begin to create a construct where beginning means anything. I know I said that word a bunch of times in that sense. But the word beginning only makes sense in a linear framework or in a, in, in a paradigm in which there is this concept of the constraint of time and time flowing in a linear fashion and there being a beginning that then unfolds into a middle and ultimately to an end. That only makes sense within this thing called reality as we know it in this thing called the matrix. It doesn't, these, are, these parameters don't exist outside this framework. All of this is what we described and explained last week. Let me just check in with you. Is everything that I'm saying making sense? Yes, you can nod if it makes sense or thumbs up. Okay, all making sense. Beautiful. So where it comes out from last week and where we enter this week's discussion is that if we were to take a step back, we could say accurately that there are two different realities. There's our reality and then there is that which is beyond or outside of our reality, of our reality. So there's our reality, which is this matrix simulation, this limitation of time and space, and this reality that we call real life to us, what seems very real, no different than what seemed very real in, in the matrix film to, this, uh, to the characters in the film who believe that this is real and this is, you know, this is absolute reality, but in truth, just a simulation. So there's our perspective on what reality is. And then there is the perspective of the source, i.e. that which is outside of this matrix simulation or that which spawned this matrix simulation, which certainly sees things, reality, from a different perspective. Would you imagine that the source would see things a little bit differently than we do? Okay. So it's like when you're in the matrix, that seems like the reality. When you step outside, you realize, oh, that's just the matrix. That's just a simulation. Now, if, if we were to go inside of that, that would be super real. But we also know at, that, at the same time that that's only when you're in it. When you're out of it, you realize, oh, that, that's just a simulation. That's just an imposed set of boundaries and formulas that is creating some sort of boxed-in space. But that's not really real. That's real only once you're in it. But it's not real. One way to understand this, give, give a completely different analogy for this, just to, to go, just to get a better understanding. Imagine 
Imagine you are imagine you have children and the children and your children are playing a game. And it's some sort of elaborate game where there are these rules and you're allowed to do this and you can't do that and you have to, you know, find something here but you can't use that thing, you have to use this thing. Yeah, you with me on this? It's like this whole elaborate game. Okay, so the kids are playing this game. And you you're doing whatever you want to do, right? You're doing, you're, you're doing you. You're doing your thing. And the kids are playing their game. And at some point, you get curious and you say to your kids, hey, what are you guys doing? We're playing a game. What game are you playing? And they begin telling you this whole thing with all these, you know, the rules and the objective of the game. Interesting. Interesting. So we have two different realities. They're inside the game. Yeah? And in the game, there are all these rules. This is what you can do. This is what you can't do. And you... You're outside the game. You're not in the game. You're outside the game. You can do whatever you want. It's like, oh, when you're inside the game, you can't say this word. You know what? Out of the game, I can say whatever I want, right? I'm not in the game. When you're in the game, you're, you have the rules. Playing soccer. Maybe an even easier example. Yeah, you're playing soccer. What's the most basic rule of soccer? Feel free to unmute. What's the most basic rule of soccer? You can't use your, your hands. Can't use your hands. Yeah. Is that a rule for life? No, no, it's not a rule for life. It's a rule for shy. You find that funny? Yeah. All right. This is shy approved right here. Yeah. In, in life, you can use your hands. In soccer, you can't use your hands. You know what that means? It means that soccer is not real life. Now, this is not a, this is not a diss against soccer. Soccer is wonderful. I'm just saying that it's a game in which there are rules. These are not rules of life. These are the rule within a game. So in a similar way, there is the perspective of reality when you're inside a matrix and that is your reality. Okay, this is all real. These are the, this is what I can do, what I cannot do in this space. And for us, that's all of this stuff. And then there's a perspective outside the matrix, which would be the perspective of the source, i.e. God, which is, oh, those rules. Yeah, whatever. I mean, those aren't God's rules. Those rules don't apply to the source. Those are only inside that little box called the simulation, called the matrix, called life as we know it. Which leads me to my first big idea of this week's class. And the first really big um, mystical lexicon that I wish to teach you tonight. Okay, we're going to learn a phrase together. It's actually two phrases that are brought in Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy extensively. And the two phrases are Da'at Elyon and Da'at Tachton. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it easier by writing this into the chat. Okay, here we go. Da'at Elyon, I'm putting this right here. Oh, wait, hold on. We sent to everybody. Da oh, it's autocorrect. Doesn't like dot. Thinks it's data. Matrix? Who knows? Dot. Tachtone. Data again. Hmm. Very aggressive autocorrect. Over here. A second. Okay, clearly someone has to tell my computer or whatever program is uh, handling this autocorrect 
that there's something called dat elyon and dat tachton. Let me explain what that is. If, you, if you're able to access the chat, you can see it right there. Dat elyon, dat tachton. In simple language, dat elyon means a higher vantage point, a higher perspective. Dat tachton is a lower perspective. Put even more simply, there's the perspective that, it, that exists outside the matrix. That's dat elyon, higher perspective. And dat tachton is the perspective that one has inside the matrix. So there's our perspective inside this reality. This is real. You can't push up against it. Look how solid it is. Laws of physics, laws of nature, laws of this, laws of time, space. We can't get out of it. Sure. Inside the matrix, it all makes sense. It all makes sense, and it's all impervious, and it's all solid, it's bulletproof. Inside the matrix, bulletproof, this is real. Sure it is. Dat tachton, that's lower perspective. Dat elyon is the perspective outside the matrix, where you look at it and you're like, oh, that's just the matrix. Oh, that? Oh, that silly thing. That's just the matrix, right? That's not really real, that's just what the source created, says the source. Dat elyon, higher perspective, higher vantage point. So I'm sharing with you now, the language in the original mystical text, the language that speaks to these two vantage points, the perspective inside the matrix and the perspective outside the matrix. With this, we are ready to begin. Actually, right before that, let me check in. Do these phrases make sense? These terms make sense? Yes? Okay, amazing. With this in mind, let's jump in to our text. Once again, I prepared a series of texts, hopefully in logical order, things are going to progress and unfold tonight, hopefully in a very methodical, very logical fashion to walk you through these concepts that otherwise, in my opinion, are extremely deep and mind-bending and mind-blowing. All of these texts are coming from the same source called Shara Yichar Ve'amunah, uh, which is the second part of the book of Tanya. You can, we can certainly schmooze more about the source itself and the origins, etc., but just, uh, just know that it is a mystical text drawn from the deepest sources of Kabbalah and articulated in a way that is more or less understandable. It certainly requires a guide to walk you through it, but it's, 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 uh, it's, it's portrayed in a way that can be deciphered. It's decipherable, and thus it proves very valuable for our discussion. I'm going to share my screen with you and let us jump immediately into this text. Okay, here we go. Let me just show you what we're doing here. The Kabbalah of the Matrix, Decoding the Essence of Reality, session number two, which is called The Blue Pill. We begin with part number one, singularity of source. And this first, this first uh, section called Illusion of Reality is going to express in very clear terms the fact that what we believe, sorry, what we see as reality is really an illusion, is really not real in the bigger picture or from the highest vantage point. What we believe is real is only our matrix reality or the matrix reality that was imposed upon us, but it's not really real from an absolute objective perspective. Let's take a look. Now, following these words of truth, Every discerning person will understand clearly that every creature and being, including you and I, every creature and being is in reality considered to be absolute not and nothingness. 
in relation to the activating force in the breath of his mouth, which is within it, continuously calling it into existence and bringing it from absolute non-being into being. So what he's saying here, let me, let me decode this paragraph for a moment. What he's saying here is that once you know that this is but a matrix and that it is continuously everything that we see and that we take as truth is in fact being powered at every moment by this divine code, again, you can, if you close your eyes and picture the final scenes of that first Matrix film where Keanu Reeves, Neo, suddenly sees the reality that he always thought was real as lines, that green code, he sees the code, he doesn't see the walls of, of the hallway, he sees the code, he sees the, the streams of code. So once you know that, once you know that all of this is but divine code, then you realize that what we think is real is absolute nothingness relative to the code that makes it appear to be real. In other words, what is reality? I'm going to ask it in my own, in my own, in my own way. All right, I'm stopping sharing for a moment. What is reality? Is the wall real or, or is the code that makes the wall look like a wall, is that real? You with me on what I'm asking? What's really real? Is it the wall that's real or the code that makes it into a wall, makes it look or at least be perceived as a wall? What he's saying here, this is uh, chapter 3 of Shara Yichab In chapter 3, he's saying that what's really real is not the wall, and it's not the table, and it's not the cup, and it's not the spoon. What's really real is the code. In fact, the only truth is the code. The fact that we see, we, the fact that we don't see the code, that we don't see it as code, but we see it as a wall, a table, a spoon, is simply lack of of, of true per- perception and true awareness. But in truth, what this is, is nothing but divine code. Let's get back inside. Let's get back inside. Okay, He's, we have a lot to develop here. And this is powerful. Look at this next, this next paragraph is absolutely breathtaking. The one that I just highlighted. The reason that all things created and activated appear to us as existing and tangible, you see that? The reason why we look at the wall and that looks like a wall, that looks like a tree, that looks like the floor, the ground, the ceiling, that looks real, table, spoon. Why does it look to us as existing and tangible? You know why? He says the reason is that we do not comprehend nor see with our physical eyes the power of God and the breath of his mouth, which is in the created thing, because we don't see the code. We don't see the letters We don't see the letters and the code that are making it look like it's something tangible. We don't see the divine energy that's making it into something real, something that appears real. All we see is that which appears to be real. It goes even deeper in the next paragraph. If, however... 
He says, if, however, the eye were permitted to see and to comprehend the life force and and spirituality which is in every created thing, flowing into it from that which proceeds, proceeds from the mouth of God and his breath. So let me pause here for a moment. We just did this part. Let me pause here for a moment. If you and I could see with our eyes the truth. Now, hold on, hold on. Time out. We can't. Because if we did, you'll see what happened. But if we could, if we could, if we could see the code, if we could see the divine energy, not the outside, but the inside, you ready? Ready for what would happen? Then the physicality, materiality, and tangibility of that creature would not be seen by our eyes at all. If we saw the code somehow, then we would not see the physicality, materiality, and tangibility of that thing anymore. It's like an either-or. Either you see the either you see the projected image of existence, or you see the core code that is projecting it into existence, but you can't see both at the same time. What do you see? Do you see a wall or divine code? If you see a wall, you don't see the divine code. If you saw the divine code, you would not see a wall. And so his point here in this third paragraph is, if you and I could see that, if you and I could see the code, then everything else would melt and disappear. Why? For it is completely nullified in relation to the life force and the spirituality which is within it, since without the spirituality within it, it would be not an absolute nothingness exactly as before the six days of creation. If you could see the code, you would not see the table anymore because the table doesn't actually exist. Because since when do tables exist? In which reality is there a table? Are you kidding me? Where do tables come from? Yeah, tables. Suddenly there are tables. Where's a table from? Where do you get a table from? You know where you get a table from? You get a table when you have divine code, when you have this architecture, when you have this simulation of divine code that makes it look like the appearance of a table. Then you have a table. But what it really is, is divine code. Not that much different than the matrix of the matrix film. Think about it. Think about it. This whole reality, this whole world, these realms, these storylines, these interactions, these experiences exist where? In a simulation or program. They never actually happen. In the movie, it's a very dark reality. We're not talking dark and, and, and horrific and, and, and nightmarish. No, we're talking about God and, and, and reality. All of that is positive. In our conversation, in this course, it's all good. In the Matrix... It's devious. As I mentioned last week, and as you probably know about the, about the film, you have these machines that, are, that have taken over human beings, harvesting the bioenergy of human beings and keeping them around by giving them, feeding them a simulation of experiences that they are experiencing. Well, those experiences aren't happening. The relationships aren't happening. The activities aren't happening. Nothing is happening in actuality, but the humans believe that it's happening. In a somewhat similar way, the table is not actually real. It's real to us. It seems real, but that's only because we don't see the divine code. As he said, just said, if we would see the divine code, then we wouldn't see a table anymore. We wouldn't see a table. What would we see? 
the divine code. If you saw, you and I, if we saw the divine code in the wall, look at your, the room around you. If you saw the divine code in the wall, you wouldn't see a wall. What would you see? Source code. Not, not wall, you would see source. So why is it that we see a wall? Because we don't see source. Why don't we see source? Because the human eye can't see source. We don't have source lenses. It's not, we're part of the matrix. We're created in a way to see the result that's the, the architecture that's created by the matrix, by this simulation. That it looks real, it, feel, it feels real, and it seems real, and the experiences by all appearances are real. But in the objective sense, it's code. It's not actually what it appears to be. Okay. Um, Alex, yeah, jump in. Yeah, thank you. Um, Rabbi, in that, if, if you can bring up the, uh, uh, the, the text, I had a question on that, that last paragraph. Yes, it's up um, right now. Yeah, and in that last paragraph, um, it's, it, I didn't like the explanation for why everything would be nothing, would be as nothing, because the explanation says without the spirituality, everything would be naught. But... But, but he doesn't say why you would be looking at um, that which is without spirituality. Um, it, it, it doesn't quite, I don't quite get how the, it, it is because of lack of spirituality that things would be as nothing. Good, good, good. Excellent, excellent question. Let, so let me clarify. What he's saying over here is, since without the spirituality within it, that is a reference to the code. In other words, it's the code that is powering the table to, be a, to, be, to look like a table. Without the code, there is no table. Which means that if you see the code, you still see there is no table because what is a table if not code? You with me on this? In other words, a table is not really a table. It's really code that makes it look like a table. So if you see the code then you don't see a table because you know that there is no table. It's all divine code. It's divine energy. Now, I'm using language that fits our matrix lexicon. It fits our matrix uh, paradigm. Now, a lot of the original language in Kabbalah actually fits it inherently and organically without any, any modification. This paragraph doesn't happen to be one of those. Although he talks about that which proceeds from the mouth of God and his breath, which refers to the language, the letters of articulation of creation, which is essentially divine code because it's comprised of characters. But in this line that you were referring to, he refers to the table or the, the tangible not existing, right? Without the spirituality within it, the spirituality is a reference to what I'm referring to as the code. If, if not for that code, the physical, tangible, material object does not exist, which really means that there is no physical, material, and tangible item. It's just that which is developed by a code or which appears to emerge from the composite of such code, but that means that it's really the code. It's not actually a table, it's the code. One more clarification based on what we said last week, and I, and I just and I feel like it's very important to, to clarify. Um, a table... One might ask the question, well, how do we distinguish between things that, that the source makes and things that we make? Because if a human being takes what it makes a table, so then, hold on, who made that? Source code or the, human, or the, or the, the manufacturer of the table? Like, who, who actually made that? 
It's not, a, it's not a question and it's not a contradiction because of what we said last week. What we said last week is that the code has been given to us as well. We're also part of the code. The code has been given to us to be able to create new iterations of code. Are you with me on this? We can take, it's kind of like you give somebody four different colors of paint and what they can do then is they can blend and mix colors together and create new colors. Are they creating new colors? There's no new colors. There's no new colors. You're taking existing, existing tools and blending them together and creating what appears to be a new color. Sure, it looks like a new color, but it's, it's, you didn't create something out of nothing. Poof. So God, or the source, let's just use kind of neutral terminology here. The source created the code. And that creating the code is something that we said last week is ongoing. That does not stop. Because at any point, if, if, if the code is pulled, then the entire simulation evaporates. Everything disappears. So the code has to be constantly plugged in. The matrix, yeah, in the, in the movie, it has to, it's the computer simulation. The computers have to be plugged in. If you unplug that, the whole thing goes down. Right? That's the way it works. God is constantly feeding the code into our reality to keep this thing going. Once the code is here, right, that God is constantly regenerating, well, then you and I can take a piece of wood and make it into a table. Not a problem. So who did that? We did that, but we didn't create our own code. We're just modifying a little bit. We're reshaping some code. We're not creating code. We're not destroying code either. We are simply reshaping code. You know the law of conservation of matter? Yeah. Nothing can be created or destroyed. Yeah. You can't destroy, you can't create or destroy code. That's not what human beings do. We can modify code because that's part of the rules of our matrix is that we have the ability to kind of reorganize and restructure some things on some level, not radically, but on some level, but uh, creating and destroying code, we can't do. Okay, so, so far what we've learned tonight is that the fact that we see this as real is simply because, um, is the code created to? Yes, the code is created. I'm just looking back at, ch at, uh, at chats. Second. Okay. Oh, this is very good. Okay, hold on, hold on one second. Before I get to recap what we did, let me read the comments. I like these. Kind of like when those, one of those works of art that you don't see until you see it, and then you can't stop seeing it. Exactly. Right. If you saw the code, then you couldn't see the table. Exactly. Right. It's like the illusion of like, oh, it's a, it's a cop. Oh, no, it's two people. And then once you see it, you can't. Or, hold on, even better. Remember the... Um, Remember the audio, Laurel, and um, who remembers the audio? There was like an audio clip of somebody saying something. Laurel or Yanni? You remember Laurel or Yanni? Oh, I love that. There's another one that's even better that I heard recently. Like seven options. And when you read it, you hear it. Are you with me? I don't think I'm explaining myself. Okay, there's a sound clip. There's a sound clip. You play the sound clip and you read any one of seven different lines, completely different. But if you, re if you look at that line and you play the same clip, it's clear that that's what it is. You read the second line, you play the clip, it's, you're clear that it's that. And it's the same exact clip that you're playing, but based on what you're seeing, 
Based on what you're reading, it just sounds completely different. Anyway, there's the power of perception, the power of perception. So, so when we perceive the, 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 the outside, we're not perceiving the inside. We perceive the inside, then we don't perceive the outside. That is the way it works. Now, the code is created. Yes, the code is created by God. God manifests the code that that is what creates us. And yes, it just changes form when we modify it. Um, so performing a mitzvah the same as building a table. Ah, uh, Trish is asking a good question. So what is a mitzvah? Is a mitzvah inside the matrix or outside the matrix? Excellent question. Good. Actually, I want to speak about that next week. Next week is called The Essence, and I want to speak about how to break, how to bust out of the matrix. Okay, so let's hold that until, you could probably tell from my answer already which direction we're going to go with that, but let's, let's say it's a great question. Let's save the breaking out of the matrix and Torah and mitzvot for next week. Yanni Laurel, excellent, from The Verge, beautiful. Oh, and the dress. <laughs> I remember the dress. Aye. Was it gold and white? Or... Anyway. Okay, back to, back to reality slash perception. What, we, what we've discussed so far, what we've discussed thus far in, in the first section of tonight's class is that this is but what, what we see as real is just a created illusion or an illusion that's created for us by the source for us to think that it's real. And as long as it looks real, then it is real. If we were to see the actual source that's behind all of this, we would realize that this is not real. But in the process, we, our, the fabric of our reality would be essentially undone. So it's probably good that we don't see that because then we couldn't exist as we exist. Let's get back inside and let's continue moving the chains using a football analogy. Let's, uh, let's, let's plug forward. Check this out. Here he talks about the notion of true existence. One of the outcomes of everything we've spoken of thus far is that the only thing that actually exists is the source. Everything else is a created existence or an imposed existence or a a matrix simulation on top of that which truly is, what is the only truth? The only truth is the source, which we call God. So here we go. Let's read this inside. The spirituality that flows into it, into existence or what we call existence, from that which proceeds from the mouth of God and His breath, that alone continuously brings it forth from not in nullity into being and gives it existence. Thus he says, listen to this last line, Hence, there is truly nothing besides him. Nothing actually exists outside of the source. Because even this, which looks so real, is really nothing but divine code. It's just code, which ultimately comes from him. Comes from, God is certainly not gender uh, specific, comes from the source with a capital S. This is all coming from source. This is not like, oh, it's a table. It's a wall. I don't see the source here. I don't see God here. It's not a table. It's not a wall. It's all code created. It's like the matrix. Yeah. Who's the matrix? What's the matrix? It's a simulation created by, in the case of the movie, created by these machines or whatever it is or the architect. It's a creation by, so it's nothing other than the manifestation of, of a creator, of a source. That's what this is. So, you know, we, we spoke a little bit at the end of last week's class, like, what's the upshot of all this? Like, okay, so 
you know, it starts getting a little, a little frightening. Like, okay, so this is not as real as I thought. Like, now what do I do? What do I do with this information? Now what? So I'll just, I'll just drop this. We're kind of, you know, still like toward the beginning of tonight's conversation. Um, but imagine if we took the, the boundaries of our reality a little less seriously. Yeah? Imagine if we took ourselves a little, a little less seriously. How the benefit of that. The next time you're driving down the highway and somebody cuts you off. You know? That nothingness cut off my nothingness. Am I really going to get that upset? I mean, like, right? That, that, that garnished cut off my garnished. Like, what's the uh, garnish is Yiddish for, like, that which doesn't exist. So he doesn't exist. I don't really exist. Like, what's, what are we getting all upset about? It, it, it kind of puts things in perspective. It's like, uh, you know, when, when you see pictures from outer space and you see how small the world is, how small this planet is, and you're like, man, we're really small. And we're really, like, on this little globe together. And we spend so much time fighting. <laughs> Can't we find something better to do than just fight with each other? Isn't there something more... Uh... Anyway, it's just some perspective. When you put things in perspective, it can help in many ways, including some ways that are uh, perhaps even unexpected. Okay, I'm looking here at the chat again. Um, did Adam see any code when he named the animals? The answer is yes. He was able to see the code. Ah, so your question might be, Fran, if he saw the code, so how could he name the animals? Either he saw the code or the animals. That's a good question. I am not sure about that. If he saw the code directly or if he intuited that there was a code on what that code might be, but maybe he didn't see the code in that full force. By the way, it says... Oh, hold on. Mark, you're jumping the gun over here about uh, in the future time. All right, we're going to get... Uh, we're going to get... Okay, it's a footnote. Fine. Okay, so we're going to get... We're gonna get um, we're gonna get up to that in, in our third section tonight. What I want to share right now is what did I want to say in the context of one of these questions? Um, that Adam said the code name of the animals. Okay, I don't remember what I was gonna say after that. Okay, it doesn't matter. We'll get back to it. Let's jump back inside and let's continue with our text. And here he brings a very elaborate example and analogy and. My, my hope is that this, that this doesn't confuse things, but on the contrary, makes things a little bit more clarified. I think it's, hopefully by now, it should be fairly clear. I've been, been trying my best to clarify these really, you know, major ideas. Um, he brings the example of the sun and the sunlight, which I feel like I probably should share it outside before we get inside. It's a bit of a, of a, a wordy analogy and an illustration. In other words, it, it, it spans uh, several paragraphs. Um, and it will lead to a major question, but let me kind of outline it outside before we jump inside the text. So think about, picture the following. You're walking outside on a sunny day. And you're able to see outside. You're able to look up and see the trees. Maybe you see some mountains or some hills. You're able to see a person across the street. You're able to see the ground right in front of you. You're able to see. And the reason why you're able to see, in part, is because of the light. There's light. Now, if this was at, if this was at night, 
and it was pitch black, and there was not a light source to be found, no sun, no moon, no stars, no street lights, nothing. If there was no, no cell phone flashlight, you know, light thing, no lights at all, you would have difficulty looking out into the distance and seeing anything. You would have difficulty even looking across the street and seeing anyone. You would have difficulty perhaps even seeing an item that is right in front of you on the sidewalk. You might have difficulty seeing those with complete lack of light. So light is extremely beneficial and it, uh, it, it allows us to see. Where does light come from? The primary source of light, of course, is outside, right outside during the day, is the sun. So imagine the light that is in your immediate environment. There's light right around you. You're standing outside, it's a sunny day, and it's light where you are. Is the sun itself there with you? No, the sun is not there. The sunlight is there. Are you with me on what I'm saying? Let me just interrupt myself. The sun is not right here because that would be pretty hot, right? The sun is not here. The light of the sun is right here. Okay, good. Where does the light of the sun come from? The sun. Okay, it's an obvious question, right? So you're walking outside and there's light. This light is directly attributed to the sun. Now the sun's not here. The sun's up there wherever the sun is. But you have the sunlight that is radiating from the sun, projecting, projected downward and, and outward, and it's now in your space. That light is, 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 is emanating from the sun. Could you theoretically trace... The, sun, the light that is around you, could you trace it back, back to its source? Could you theoretically trace it back? The answer is yes. Yeah? Because if the light is here and the sun is there, it means that it, the sun was shining and it got here. So you could theoretically trace it back. The big idea that he's going to present here is that if you were to take this ray of light or this light area around you and trace it all the way back to its source. In its source, which is the sun itself, this little ray of light is garnished, is nothing. This little ray of light that you have around you in your little, little space here on earth, that little amount of light is nothing compared to the massive gigawatts, I don't even know the right, the right, the right number, the massive amount of light and energy that is the sun itself. So if this light were to stand in reference to the sun, you would say the light doesn't even exist in reference to the sun, to the body of the sun. But in a space far away from the sun, this little light makes a big difference. Are you with me? He's trying to show a relativism relative to the source. This is nothing. Relative to a new locale, it's everything. And this is the analogy, this is the, the illustration that he's using to try to explain our matrix-like reality. Relative to the source, this doesn't exist. Relative to us, it's very real. Are you with me on this? Yes? Again, dat elyon, dat tachton. 
higher perception or perspective, lower perspective. To the source, this, this is nothing. This is all part of code, part of the source. This is not a separate, what, what is this? Yeah, this is all a matrix. This is all a simulation that's from code that's originating from the source, but this is not anything new or anything different. That's relative to the source. This is nothing. Relative to us, this is real. This is reality. This is serious. We take it. This is, this is everything. Like the, ray, like the ray of light of the sun, relative to source, doesn't exist. Relative to us, this ray of light is very important. It's critical. I couldn't see without it. I could not see outside without this ray of light, this little relative to the sun, this little amount of light that is radiating by me. Let's read this inside. I'm hoping that my little uh, intro is help. It will help us with this illustration. And uh, let's, let's see if we can move through it because we, have, we really have so much to get to um, beyond the sun. Illustration. Okay, here we go. An illustration of this is the light of the sun, which illumines the earth and its inhabitants. This illumination is the radiance and the light which spreads forth from the body of the sun and is, is visible to all as it gives light to the earth and the expanse of the universe. So the, the focus here is on the light of the sun. Not the sun itself, but the light of the sun that is radiating from the sun and is giving light to the earth, the expanse of the universe, and to us, we who inhabit the earth. Now, it is obvious, he says, that this light and radiance is also present in the very body and matter of the sun globe itself in the sky. Right? So obviously, if the light is here, the light originated back in the very sun globe itself, i.e. the source itself. For if it can spread forth and shine to such a great distance, then certainly it can shed light in its own place. Right? If the ray of light, if this ray of light can extend all the way from the sun, millions of miles, trillions of miles, do we know how many miles it is? Someone can look that up. How many miles from the sun to earth? If it can travel such a vast distance, if the light, the light, can travel such a vast distance, millions of light years away to our reality, yeah, something like that. If it can travel so far here, certainly this, this ray of light exists in the source. However, however, there in its own place, i.e. in the sun, this radiance is considered the radiance, the ray, is considered not and complete nothingness. It's garnish. It's nothing. Relative to the sun. For it is absolutely non-existent in relation relative to the body of the sun globe, which is the source of this light and radiance, inasmuch as this radiance and light is merely the illumination which shines from the body of the sun globe itself. So this little amount of light that's going all the way down here, if you folded it back or if you reversed it back into the source, this ray of light relative to the source is nothing. It's garnished. It's, it, it's, it's insignificant. It is only, so again, relative, it's all relative, right? We're, we're, we're now being Einsteinian, Einsteinian or whatever you call it, right? We're channeling our inner Albert Einstein. Relative, right? Like Albert Einstein said about hair, yeah? You know what he said about theory of relativity, how he explained it to, uh, to, to, to very simply? He's like, think about hair. Somebody who has one hair in his head, you call him bald. But if someone has one hair in their soup, you say it's hairy soup. Right? It's all relative. It's all relative. One hair on the head, it's nothing. One hair in the soup, too much hair. Too much hair in the soup. 
The same one hair, right? But depends where it is. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to elaborate on that. It's, it's, it's clear. So back to our story, the ray of light here relative to the way the ray of light exists in the source. In the source, this one ray of light, what is it? The massive energy and light of the sun, and you have one little ray of light? Go away. Well, who are you? But relative to the world, to the dark world without the sun, with the dark world, this one ray of light makes all the difference in the world. Back inside, let's round out this analogy. Um, I don't remember where I stopped, so let me start again from the top over here. It is only in the space of the universe, under the heavens and the earth, where the body of the sun globe is not present, right? There's no sun here, like on your sidewalk. I, I would hope not, because that would be uh, awkwardly hot, right? So it's only here where there's no actual sun globe that this light and radiance appears to the eye of all beholders to have actual existence. Oh, there's light. Oh, and light is so real. And here the term existence, yesh, can truly be applied to it. Whereas when it is in its source in the body of the sun, the term existence cannot be applied to it at all. It can only be called non-existent. This is even in addition to the fact that there is no such thing called light. All light is, is an illumination of source. I hope that makes sense also. Yeah? All right. I don't want to, want to go too, too confusing here. It's not like light exists as something outside of the source anyway. It's like light is but the source that shines. It's like the original radiance that's, 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 uh, that's reflected down here. Anyway, okay, let's continue. So there in its source, this ray of light is indeed not an absolute non-existent, for there only its source, the luminous body of the sun gives light and there is nothing besides it. So very simply, let's, let's, let's stick with a simple understanding of this. We have two spaces, the space of the sun and the space of the earth. In the space of the sun, the ray of light is nothing. In the space of the earth, the ray of light is real. Okay, so now we have a good example. Now we have a good, a good illustration. A good illustration of relativism. How relative to that which is above, this is nothing, doesn't exist. Relative to that which is below, this is very real. So the same thing is going to be true about the matrix, our matrix, this, the fabric of our perceived reality. Relative to the source, nothing. Relative to us, it's everything. It's our reality. Let's continue with the parallel. Back inside, this, sorry, the exact parallel to this illustration is the relationship between all created beings and the divine flow of the life force that emanates from the breath of his mouth, which flows upon them and brings them into existence and is their source. So how do we relate to the divine code, the breath of his mouth, the divine code that, that brings us into existence? Okay, they are merely like a diffusing light and effulgence from the flow and spirit of God. They, meaning the, the divine flow and breath of his mouth, they're like a diffusing light and, efful and, and effulgence from the flow and spirit of God, which issues forth from him and becomes clothed in them and brings them from not into being. So all of this is but a mere flow, like the ray of light from the sun. This is just some divine code that creates the appearance 
of a new reality or a created reality, what we call life. Hence, their existence, and he's speaking from an objective reality perspective, hence their existence, their very existence is nullified in relation to their source. Like all of this doesn't really exist relative to source. Just as, like in the example I gave before, the rules of soccer, they don't apply to real life. The rules of the game don't apply in real life. The matrix is not actually real in real life. In the matrix, oh, it's very serious. Like within that box, oh, it's, it's the box, it's everything. But outside the box, what, what is it? So existence is nullified in relation to their source. Just as the light of the sun is nullified and considered not an utter nothingness and is not at all referred to as existing when it is within their source, when, when it's within its source, only beneath the heavens where its source is not present, light only begins outside the source. In the source, it's called the sun. It's not called light. It's just the sun. So in the source, you have sun. Outside the source, oh, I see light. It looks real. It looks like light. In the source, it's not light. It's sun. It's all part of the source. In the same manner, once again, he's just going back and forth, back and forth between the illustration of the sun and the the analog of, of reality. In the same manner, the term existence can be applied to all created things only as they appear to our corporeal, corporeal eyes. You see that? Existence, what we call existence, can only be called that as it appears to us, the physical eyes, our physical eyes. For we do not see at all, sorry, for we do not see nor at all comprehend the source. That's a powerful line. We don't see the source, and we can't comprehend the source. Yeah, we're talking about it, but we don't really understand it. We don't really understand what this code is, what it looks like. We don't understand what the source is. We don't understand what, 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 what this is. We're, we're talking about the existence of a source and existence of a code, but what it actually is, we know that it exists. We don't know what it is in existence. So, for we do not see nor at all comprehend the source, which is the Spirit of God that brings them into existence. Therefore, he says... It appears to our eyes that the physicality, materiality, and tangibility of created things actually exist. In other words, it appears to our eyes that this actually exists, just as the light of the sun appears to exist fully when it is not within its source. So what he's trying to bring out, hammer home through this illustration of the sun, is that our reality is is really only what we perceive to be reality, but not actual real reality. That's like the big idea. What we see as real, what we believe is real is only that which we see and believe to be real. It's not actually real. It's not really real. Relative to us in our matrix, in our simulation, it's real. But step outside of that, go to the sun, so to speak, and this, it's not real. Outside of the source, outside of the sun, outside of this of the original space, it all appears to be real. This is going to lead us to a major question, which is then going to allow us to unpack, to unfold some much deeper levels of understanding. And to understand this question, let's just read it inside. The question. But in the following respect, he says, the illustration is apparently not completely identical with the object of comparison. In other words, the the analogy of the sun doesn't actually work for us 
100%. For in the illustration, which is the sun example, the source, the sun, is not present at all in the expanse of the universe and upon the earth when it's light, where its light is seen as actually existing. In other words, in the example of sun, earth, and light, we have, three, we have different spaces. There's the space of the sun, the space of the earth, and it's on earth where you see the light, whereas in the sun you don't see light, you just see sun. By contrast, he says, all created beings are always with their source. And it is only that the source is not visible to our physical eyes, which then begs the question, so why are they not nullified in their source, in other words, dissolved from existence altogether? So to explain this question, I'm going to try to explain in the most basic way, which is using space as a key point. When I say space, I mean distance. When you have the sun and the sunlight on earth, the sun in its original place, the source of light, and the sunlight, the derivative on earth, what makes the sunlight derivative look to be its own thing is because of the distance, the physical distance between sun and earth. So in the sun, it's only sun. On earth, you see the light. This question is, doesn't work in our reality. Because <laughs> what are you going to say? When you have the source, God, that's where you have the source. But on earth, in our reality, then you have the matrix. God is not a sun that's located in a certain, certain place. Right? The source is everywhere. That's his question. The sun is in one place, but the source, God, is everywhere. All time, all space. You see, the sun, because it's part of the matrix also, spoiler alert, the sun is also limited in, by the constructs of space. But the source, in, in the Kabbalistic conversation, the source with a capital S, God, the essence of reality, is not subject to, time, to limitations of time or space. So the only reason why the sunlight works is because of the limitations of time and space. But when it comes to the, the Kabbalistic conversation, there are no limitations of time and space, which means that God is everywhere at all times. In which case, the question is, how does this matrix not collapse in on itself? How can the matrix even look like a matrix if the source is always present? If you, have, if you always have the source everywhere at all times, because the source is not limited by time or place. So the source is everywhere at all times. So where do you have the space to create a matrix which looks like it's outside the source and doing its own thing? How do you even create a matrix in, in, in within a reality that is all pervasive and everywhere? Does, that, does this question make sense at all? Sort of? Yeah. I feel like it's a... Yeah. I think, you, I think you muted yourself. You're right. Didn't God contract himself? We're going to get to the answer in a minute. We're going to get to the answer in a minute. Yeah. Good. <laughs> okay. But before we get okay. to the answer, we need to establish the question. Right? Okay. The question is, the question is, it, when you talk about sun and earth, you could say the sun is over there. So now you have light and not sun. Good. Fine. So there's a space for the light over here. There's a space for the sun over there because everything has its 
space. When you talk about God, the source, the, the source, God is everywhere. God is not bound by any time or spatial limit, by any uh, yeah, time or space limitations. So then how, do, how, do, how does the matrix exist? How does our matrix exist? You could say, well, God created a matrix. God created a matrix within which we appear, we believe that we are separate from him. But really, it's all God. It's all the code. It's all the matrix. But you don't have the benefit of having the space, like a separate space within which this can operate. How do you create a separate space within something all pervasive? How do you, how do you, how do you create limitation within the unlimited? How does that even work? So he's asking now, the question that we're at right now, and this is going to reveal a whole new layer of conversation. The question we're at right now is, essentially, how did God create this matrix? How did God create this matrix at all? The, the fact that the God exists, sure. The fact that the code, the, the code is God, yeah. But how does the code create an apparent reality outside of, of the source when everything is, is, is inside the source, how do you pull off this magic trick? And that's really what we're going to get to with the, with the doctrine of the Tzimtzum, which is one of the most daring Kabbalistic ideas ever taught. And it's, uh, it's some of the most groundbreaking spir Jewish spiritual um, thought ever produced. So we're about to get there. But first, questions on what we just said. Questions, questions, questions. Any questions on, on what we've just covered? Analogy of the sun. The question that we're at now, questions or comments? I'm looking, looking, looking. I have a question. Yes. Um, so if, the, uh, if uh, God has to continuous, uh, continuously say, let there be, let there be, for every leaf, every single blade of grass, every single person and animal, um, that seems crazy. You know, it seems like it's not very labor efficient that if God has to keep talking, 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 talking every second to create that's only if you consider God talking and creating in human terms as a laborious act. But that's a, that's the, but we, have to, we, have to strip, we have to strip that construct, that mindset. God speaking things into being is not like you and I speaking. It's, it's exhausting and constant and this is crazy. How do we even do it? We're talking about a completely different reality. It's not God speaking in, in the way that we speak. It's not God articulating with voice. God doesn't have a body. God doesn't have a voice. That's not how this works. It, this is simply words that we use, language that we use, to kind of give us some sort of sense. Just like, and it's explained in Kabbalah, just, wh why is it called speech if God doesn't have a voice, if God doesn't have a mouth, if God doesn't have a body? It's the source. It's not a body, right? So what, what, why do we even say speech? You know why? Because like when a person speaks, speak, speaking is an act of revelation. I get to tell you what I'm thinking before that you had no idea. Now I told you what I'm thinking. So speech is an act, is a revelatory act. So God giving rise to a matrix of sorts is an act of revelation. God is revealing a new reality, revealing or a new apparent reality. So speech is only used insofar as the outcome, which is revelation, but it's not the process. The processes are not equivalent, which means that any limitation of the speech process that we try to apply to God and therefore conclude that it's inefficient because our speech is inefficient is simply a fallacy of, of application. It's creating God in our image as opposed to understanding God on God's terms, if that makes sense. 
So uh, what I'm saying is we have to be very careful when studying Kabbalah, when studying anything, but especially Kabbalah, in not concretizing the ideas too much, in not, in, in not locking the, the allegories and the analogies and the, langu- and, and the language that Kabbalah speaks of, not locking it into a very um, a concrete way of understanding. So yes, we're talking about God's speech and the letters of code and everything. God is not banging out code on a keyboard. God is not speaking into, into being in the conventional sense of you and I speaking. So it's not inefficient. What, it, what all of this means is that against a backdrop of oneness, of God's all-pervasive reality, this matrix reality of duality, where there's now us and God, right? This is what's emerging against that backdrop of oneness. And for something to be superimposed against that backdrop of singularity requires a flow, a constant flow, and even flow is is an anthropomorphic term, but requires a constant flow of that energy to keep it into existence. There's really no way, and that's what he said before, there's no way to understand what that looks like. There's no way to comprehend it. All we know is that it is, but what exactly it is? Well, if it's not divine speech, then what is it? If it's not exactly code, then what is it? You know what the short answer is? I don't know. I can't tell you what it is because I could only tell you what it is if I was God, right? We're talking about God as source. So the question now is, the question really on the table is, so who's God? So what's God? What does God look like? What does God feel like? If that's the question that we can't answer, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with that. But here's the thing. Trust me when I say this. It's not inefficient. It's not, if you and I were doing this, oh, that's inefficient. But when God is doing this, it's not inefficient because it's not the same process that you and I are imagining. All right. Let's move on to the third. Um, Fred, you have something? I said, if, if God takes a nap, we're in trouble. And Donna said, if he wakes up, we're in trouble. So oh, look at you guys are a bunch of mystics. Look at you. Look at you. That's like, that's like a beautiful kind of, if God took a nap, if God pulled up, we would be, if God wakes up, we would be in trouble. Good. Beautiful. Who knows? Who knows? But the truth is both ways of saying it are correct. Right? right. Depends on what you consider real or the dream. <laughs> By the way, it says... It My says, grandmother yeah. said, life is a dream. Yeah. It says, when Mashiach comes, right? Shir HaMalois, B'Shuv HaShem, Eshiv HaTzion, when Hashem, when God returns the exiles, Hayinu Kechomen will have been like dreamers. We'll realize all of this, all of this was a dream. All of this was a matrix. Well, we'll realize. One day we'll wake up like Neo in the matrix. One day we'll be like, ah, this is what's going on. By the way, the Alter Rebbe, before he passed away, the author of before he passed away, the author of, of what we're studying, before he passed away, he asked his son, what do you see? His son, right before he passed away, it was a Saturday night, Matzah Shabbos, Chav um, Tevet, the 24th day of Tevet, in the year 1812. 24th of Tevet is coming up, today is the 10th of Tevet, so we're talking about in 14 days is the author of his yard site, and this is going back to 1812, which is... Two weeks, two weeks. Two weeks. Hold on, two weeks minus how many years? 210 years. So 210, in two weeks, 210 years ago, the Alter Rebbe, shortly before he passed away, asked his son, what do you see? 
And his son said, I see the shtender, I see the table, I see the piece of wood. And he said, I don't see it, I see the divine code. That's what he said right before he passed away. That's what he said. I see the Dvar Hashem, I see the word of God, I see the divine code. That's what he said. You and I can't see this and live. God told Moses that. You want to see me? That's what God told Moses. Remember the famous story where Moses says, show me your face? Right? God says, Moses says to God, show me your face. And what does God say? No one can see my face and live. That's what we're talking about. You can't see the code. You can't see the source and live. It's like either or. Either you see this or you see that. Your choice, but not really choice. In this, in this phase of reality, and I call it phase, because this is not all, our enti- the entirety of our experience is also not this little snapshot either. But anyway, in this snapshot of, ex- of, of, of existence, this is what we got and this is what we see. We see, uh, we're plugged in, we're in this matrix, we have this code. But right now, I want to reset. Let's get back to our question because we're about to answer it and just continue the mind-blowing ideas here with the big idea of Tzimtzum. We're going to get to that in a second. But let's reset the question. The question is, if you tell me that God is a sun and there's light that shines in the earth and that's the analogy, sure. So there's God and then there's a light that seems like its own thing on earth and that's the Tzimtzum, sorry, and that's the, 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 the matrix that looks like reality, fine. But if the source is everywhere at all times, is, is, is just all pervasive, so what kind of matrix? Where's the matrix? <laughs> Where's the matrix? Yeah? Where's the matrix? Wh- wh- where is it? H- how does a matrix exist within all pervasive source? Like, what's going on here? It's not like you have two different spaces. Yeah? So, so where, where does this exist? This will lead us directly to the next piece. All right, here we go. Creating the illusion, part two. Let's, let's jump in, and I'm going to do my best to break this down as best I can to make it understandable. It is written, phrase sun and the shield is Havaya Elohim. Now, there's two names. Let me just jump in here. There are two names for, two primary names for God in Scripture. One is Havaya, and one is Elohim. Oops. Havaya Elohim. So the verse says, a sun and a shield is Havaya Elohim. So in other words, Havaya is like, whoops, Havaya is like the sun, and Elohim is like the shield. So we have the sun. We're back to the sun. You realize we didn't get too far away from the sun. So we, have, we talked about sun. So we have the sun, and then you have the shield, and that's Havaya and Elohim. So let's, let's continue. Just as the covering shields the sun, you're probably wondering, what covering shields the sun? Theoretically, a covering. Some sort of covering. Per, per, perhaps could shield the sun, or does shield the sun, right? Maybe call it the ozone layer, whatever you want to call it. Just as a covering shields the sun, so does the name Elohim, right? That second name, Elohim, Elohim, shield the name Havaya, blessed be he. So again, you have the sun and you have a shield. You have Havaya and Elohim. It's kind of like those little tests, you know, like SAT tests. Sun, sorry, shield is to sun as, as, shield is to sun as, Elohim is to Havaya. Right? The shield is Elohim, the sun is Havaya. What does that mean? 
What kind of sun? What kind of shield? But what kind of havai? What kind of lekiv? What are we talking about here? What's the shield? What's the sun? What, what's happening? Let's continue. The meaning of the name, so we have to understand what these terms are. So what's Havaya? The meaning of the name Havaya is that which brings everything into existence, ex nihilo. Havaya is the force that brings existence into existence. The letter Yud modifies the verb, indicating that the action is present and continuous, like we just mentioned a moment ago, and we mentioned last week as well, that the act of bringing everything into existence from nothing is a continuous action constantly being presented. It's constantly happening at every moment. It's a constant manifesting of existence, our existence, into existence. This action, let's continue, is the life force which flows at every single instant into all things created from that which proceeds from the mouth of God and His breath, the same thing we said before, and brings them into existence, ex nihilo, something from nothing at every moment, for the fact that they were created during the six days of creation is not sufficient for their continued existence. We explained that last week and we mentioned it earlier today as well. The fact that it once upon a time was created is not enough for it to be now. Since it's, it's against the backdrop of nothingness, it needs to be constantly um, uh, manifest into being at every time. In other words, the matrix, our created reality, has to constantly be, be, um, has to constantly be made to emerge at every single moment. And that is the name Havaya, which makes things emerge. In the great enumeration, we're going to continue and we're going to get to a major idea here. In the great enumeration of the praise of the Holy One, blessed be He. In other words, praising God, we say the following. It is written, Hagadol, God is great, and Hagibar, God is mighty. We call God great, and we call God mighty. Gadol and Gibar. What are these two things? What are these two de- de- depictions or descriptions of God? God is great and God is mighty. So here we go. Here's a Kabbalistic insight. Hagadol, God being great, refers to the attribute of chesed, kindness, and to the spreading forth of the life force into all worlds and, all, and created things without limit or end, without end or limit, that they shall be created ex nihilo and exist through gratuitous kindness. In other words, Hagadol, God is great, means that God is constantly bringing things into existence and manifesting matrix and things and code and it's happening like that. This attribute is exclusively the praise of the Holy One, blessed be He, for no, and it was only God can pull this off. Only God is Hagadol. Only God is the great on this level. I know they called Alexander the great Lahavdil, but that's not what we mean. We don't mean uh, you know, a, a, a warrior, a general, a leader, an emperor. No, that's not what we mean. We mean great in the sense of creating prolific creation, creating just, just uh, an, an expert, a, 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 a without end, creating, creating, creating. This is one of the attributes, one of the, the, the praises of God, so to speak, that God brings beings out of nothingness and gives it life. This attribute is also beyond the cognition of all creatures and their understanding. We can't understand this, for it is not within the power of the intellect of any creature to comprehend or understand this attribute and its ability to create a being out of nothing and to vivify. We have no comprehension of what it means to create something out of nothing. All, our entire reality is predicated. We're all in the matrix, a, 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 an already superimposed matrix, and all we do is move stuff around inside this matrix. That's all we do is move stuff around. And what we call creating is just moving stuff around. It's moving furniture around. That's what we do. God brings it into existence. God makes it from nothing. We can't comprehend, but this 
how do we express God's ability? To, how, do we, how, how do we describe God as the creator? Hagadol, the great. Great is the creator. However, let's continue. Because if you recall, there are two descriptions. Hagadol and Hagibar. What's Hagibar? What's the mighty? What does that mean? Stay with me. Simpson. Just as it is impossible for the mind of any creature to apprehend his attribute of gedula, the greatness, which is the ability to create a being out of nothing and give it life, exactly so it is impossible for us, sorry, for it, for the, the human mind, to apprehend the divine attribute of gevura, might, or restraint. Listen to this, which is the faculty of tzimtzum, condensation or contraction, restraining the spreading forth of the life force from his attribute of gedula, preventing it from descending upon and manifesting itself to the creatures and providing them with life and existence in a revealed manner, but rather with his countenance concealed. And I'm going to stop here because there's a lot of words and I want to say it outside. You ready? We call God Hagadol and Hagibar and listen to this. Hagadol means God created the matrix. Hagibar means that he then concealed the fact that he created the matrix. Are you with me on this? When you and I look at the world, what do you see? You see the matrix as a wall. You don't see the matrix as a divine code. Are you with me? That's how we started today's class. You know why? Because God not only created the code, but he created the illusion that he did not create the code. Yes? You got that? God not only created the code, Billions and trillions and whatever's beyond that of lines of code to create this elaborate thing called the matrix for us. But God did a second magic trick. That's a magic. That itself, Dayenu is the greatest trick ever conceived. We can't even fathom what that means. But then God did something that even out blows that away. And you know what that is? To do all of that in a way that we can't see behind the curtain. To do it in a way that it seems so real. As though it wasn't just coded into being by God. But rather that, oh no, this is, this is real. I don't know what code you're talking I don't see any code. I don't see, what code? To create the code. And then to mask it. M-A-S-K. To mask the code, so that it cannot be seen. That perhaps is an even greater trick and attribution to God. So we say, God, you know, who is God? What is God? Hagadol vehagibar. God is great. God is the great creator of the code. And hagibar, God is the mighty concealer of that self-same code, which means very, very simply. We exist in the matrix of God, of God's creation, which means, as we asked a moment ago, the end of the last section, we asked, how can we exist if we're all inside the sun source? We're inside. It's not like the sun is there and we're here. No, no, no. We're inside the source. So how do we exist? The answer is, that's the power of the trick that God allows us to believe that we exist outside a source, or that there is no source. And how is that possible? Because God is not limited. God is not limited to the laws of 
what we would call the laws of physics. The laws of physics would say, if something is all-pervasive, then everything is in that all-pervasive reality. And yes, although that's true, God created a perception of a different reality. God created us to believe that we are outside of that source, that we exist on an island, stand alone, this is life, this is real, where did it come from, we don't know. And we're running around all day in this matrix trying to figure out the, the contours of this matrix and where it came from inside this closed box. And we're trying to make sense of this code. And we do a pretty decent job, we're learning more and more as we go along. But meanwhile, all of this is the mask. And the truth, truth is the code. And the truth of the code is that it's God. It's not like there's God and then the code. What is the code if not God? All of this is God. We're inside the sun. We're inside this. That's the big idea. We're inside the sun. We're inside the source here. I, we don't see it. Because God is not only Hagadol, God is also Hagibar. God is also mighty. Not just great, but mighty. It doesn't work in the English. God is not only Gadol, expansive. God is also restrictive. And what that means is, God can create the illusion of a separate space. God can create the illusion of a matrix that stands alone and is real outside of a source. And that's, my friends, where we are. We're inside this illusion of reality. Let's continue inside. For the life force conceals itself in the body of the created being. You hear that? The life force, which is God's life force, it's the code, hides itself. It hides itself in the body of the created being, including our own physical bodies, making it appear as if the body of the created being had independent existence. Making it appear as though it had independent existence and making it appear as though the created being was not merely an extension of the life force and spirituality that creates it, just like the diffusion of the radiance uh, and light of the sun, but rather an independently existing entity. That's what the Tzimtzum does. The Tzimtzum makes it look like this is real, makes it look like it's not just an extension, but rather its own thing. In reality, it's just an extension and part of God's oneness. Divine magic, let's continue. Although in reality the created being has no independent... Listen, listen, hold on, listen to these lines. Although in reality, this reality means the absolute true reality. Although in reality the created being has no independent existence and is only like the diffusion of the light from the sun, nevertheless this capacity for self-concealment is precisely the restraining power of the Holy One, Blessed Be He. It's God's ability to hide Himself, who is omnipotent. God can do anything, and hence God is able to condense the life force and spirituality which issues from the breath of His mouth and to conceal it. God can conceal Himself. God can conceal His infinite expression so that the body of the created being shall not become nullified out of existence. Because as we said before, if we saw the truth, we would be undone. We would be undone by our very by the stitches of our seams, we would undo ourselves, we would unravel into nothingness if we were to see the truth. So why are we not unraveled out of existence? Because God blocks that truth from being seen. God hides himself. How could God hide himself? Isn't God the ultimate source, the sun that's manifest everywhere? Sure, but what you're going you're gonna to say that God can't? 
God could do anything, including limit himself and make the impossible seem possible. It is beyond, listen, and he says we can't understand this. It is beyond the scope of the mind of any creature to comprehend. Once again, we can't understand the essential nature of the symptom and concealment. And to comprehend that nonetheless the, creation, the, the creature itself be created ex nihilo. We cannot understand how both are true. How everything is God and, and we don't see God. We can't understand that. Just that it is not within the capacity of the mind of any creature to comprehend the essential nature of the creation of being out of nothing. Just like we can't understand how God made this out of nothing, as we said before, we can't understand how God conceals that from our perception. Light and vessels, let's do this little piece over here because this comes up in Kabbalah often and, and here we have a beautiful a depiction of, of light and vessels, that simtsum, the contraction, the concealing of the life force is called kalim vessels. And the life force itself, the code, so, ah, so beautiful. I'm going to pause here for a second. Sorry. We were right there, right there by the, by the paragraph, but I, I, got, I got to jump in. What he's trying to tell us is the way this matrix works, like the real matrix of life, not the movie matrix, like our matrix, is you have two things that are working together and almost against each other at the same time. You have the code itself. There's the code, which is divine code that's powering everything. But if divine code is powering everything, then how come the code itself doesn't see the code? Because then you have a second layer, so to speak. I'm not saying it's exactly like this, but you have a second layer that masks the code. It's almost like a, a virus malware or something that like codes something and then blocks it from being from being perceived are you with me it's like coding it and masking it at the same time so we're being coded into existence and at the same time being masked not we the divine energy is coding it and masking itself so that we don't see behind that curtain creating the block this is called light and this is called vessel the concealment is called Kalen Vessels, and the life force itself is called R, that should be um, italicized, light. For just, not or, like, but in the Hebrew, R, for just as a vessel cover, covers that which is within it, so does the tzimtzum cover and conceal the light and the life force that flows into created beings. So what happens is that the light, the light, the speech, the letters, the code that flows from the source, it to create this, so all of this is really that, all of this is really source, it's all source code. It's all source code. So how do we see ourselves as self? Vessels, symptom, because it's hidden. I have one more section. We're out of time. But I want to tell you outside. We're going to start this next week. There's a pattern. We did this also last week. I did the first two and not the third part. All right, listen, time is time. Because we still, we're still in the matrix. We're still bound by time. And I, and I want to let you guys go. And uh, there's a lot to unpack here. You have, a, you have a week to think about this stuff. And I'm going to send you the handout as well so you can review it. I, I just want to share this outside. And then we're going to jump into it next week inside. Um, what he says over here is that there are leaks in the matrix. Although it's concealed, but it, it, there are openings through tzaddikim, and through the signs and miracles recorded in the Torah. There are signs that point to this being something bigger than what it appears at first glance. There are people, there are people that give us a clue of something beyond what we can see, and there are events that happen. There are people and events that give us a look behind the curtain, take us behind 
the matrix or recognize, allow us to recognize, or at least get an idea that maybe, 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 maybe things are not just what they appear to be. Maybe there's something a little bit deeper beyond what our eyes can see. Of course, this is that's what we're talking about. But what he's saying here is that you can even see it. You can see it. You can hear about it. You can discuss it. You can schmooze about it because the source has put inside the matrix clues that this is something other than what it appears to be. All right, so in summation, what we did tonight is we talked about that higher perception, lower perception. Higher perception is from the source perception, oh, this is just a matrix. Our perception is this is reality. The source says, oh, that's code. We say it's reality. We compared it to the sun. Oh, we also said that if we in the matrix were to see the code somehow, we can't, but if we were to somehow glimpse the code, we wouldn't be in the code and we wouldn't, we would no longer be this, us, because the way we define us, language. I would no longer be I, because the way I define I is a separate existing being. The moment I see myself as code is the moment I don't exist anymore. Are you with me on that? Yeah? If I see code, then I don't see me anymore. It's not a magic trick. It's just obvious, right? I only am I as long as I don't see the source because then I see I. If I see code, boom, I'm out. I'm out because then, then I perceive source code, source reality, and then I, 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 I no longer exist separate or in my own mind separate. All right, we talked about that. We talked about the analogy of the sun and the ray of light on earth. We have the sun here and the ray of light is there. And so in the source, the ray of light is nothing, but here it's something. And so we said the matrix therefore can exist, but then we asked the question, but the source sun is everywhere at all times. This matrix exists within the source. So how does it exist? It's not in the sun analogy, it's outside the source, but in, in the, real, the real reality, it's inside the source. So how can that be? And in short, really the answer to that question is, God can do anything, including pull off the impossible, which is create space where there's no space to create. That's what he says. God can create code within his own space and mask that code. In other words, God can manifest himself in such a way that we don't see him. There you go. And, and how does this make sense? How does any of this make sense? Right? How, do, how does God make sense? So you understand God, then you understand the tzimtzum also. So I, I, and I want to highlight that term tzimtzum because... If you know it, great. If you've never heard it before, or if, you're, if you heard it but you're not sure what it is, this is what it is. Tzimtzum is the act of masking the divine to create the illusion that God is not here, which essentially is what this world is. Yeah? This, a person could live their entire life, 120 years, and not believe in God, not know God, or claim that there is no God. A person can go through life and have all the explanations of the world that cut out God. How's that possible? How's that possible? That's how, that's how good God is. And when I say good, I mean that's how skilled God is in hiding himself. God hides himself so well that a person can live a full life and never be compelled to acknowledge that, oh yeah, that was God. 
That's how good the Matrix is. The Matrix in the movie is so good. Unless you're really paying attention, unless maybe there's outside intervention, you can go, you can live a whole life and never know that that was just a simulation. God masks the fact that this is divine simulation. It's all divine simulation. It's all God. So why don't we, why don't we, why don't we see that? How can we not see that? If that's what it is, why don't we see it? Simpson, baby. Simpson. God conceals that. God hides that from our perception. We can't see it. We don't see it. God doesn't allow us to see it. With the exception of tzaddikim and miracles. Glitches in the matrix. Which we'll talk about at the opening of next week's session. We'll also talk about next week breaking down the fourth wall. We'll talk about the role of Torah mitzvot. We'll talk about the role of the soul in our class that is going to speak about the concept of essence. So today was about the blue pill. The blue pill is about staying inside the matrix. What makes the matrix tick? It's symptom. Concealment. It's the fact that our eyes are blocked from seeing the code. We just see the wall, the table. And we take it as, as reality. We, ta- we, we, we believe it to be real. And so it's real for us. Next week, we talk about the essence. Beyond the blue pill, beyond the red pill, what is, what is the truth? All right, same bad time, same bad channel. Join me next Tuesday, 8 p.m., December 21st, which, by the way, will be mere hours before the new film premieres, Matrix Resurrected. So don't worry, I don't get a cut from the film. So buy tickets, don't buy tickets. It's, 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 it's all, it's all uh, whatever your preference is. But here's what I do know is that... Uh, Art reflects life, even if the artists don't realize the depth of what they're reflecting. My friends, we all live in a matrix reality. God is that good that we don't even know. I mean, until you come to this course, and there you go. All right, let's, uh, let's take a few questions and comments. All right, Fred, jump, up, jump in. Uh, quick question. If, if the table, I can understand this code, but the thought and action that go into making the table on our part also has to be code. Correct. 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 It's all code. It's like if it's like in the movie The Matrix. All of the experiences and the thoughts and the, the dreams and the dialogue and the conversations, all of that stuff, it's all part of the matrix. Right? It's all part of the matrix. The real question, the biggest question, one of the biggest questions that we could have here. Is so is free choice real or is it also part of the matrix? In other words, is it also not real or is it only real relative to our kind of not real reality? And that's that's a question that honestly will probably lean toward the not 100% real thing. I mean, the ultimate answer in Kabbalah when it comes to free choice is that which is Yiddish for it's all relative. Relative to us, we have free choice. Relative to the higher dimensions of reality, what, 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 are, we, what are we even talking about as far as choice, right? It's not, it's not the same. But we'll, we'll focus a little bit on that next week as we kind of uh, get even more mind-blowing in our conversation. Pleasure, pleasure. All right. Donna, jump in. So you just said that God doesn't want us to see him, but he wants us to connect with him through mitzvot and prayer. 
right? Good, yes. But not to the point that we undo the matrix. Not to the point that we undo the matrix. By the way, that's one of the reasons why Kabbalah was always taught in the down low. Because what we're doing is, if you were to see the matrix right now, it might be like undulating a little bit. Like, uh-oh, these, these, this group from, from Intown Jewish Academy is kind of pushing up against the cont. Uh-oh, this thing, oh, it's, it's moved, right? It's, it's like vibrating here. Because we're, t- we're, we're touching on these deeper ideas, which the Kabbalists revealed to us. We're talking about Sadiqim and science. Yeah, well, and it's reflecting also on some level and on the physical, physical science. But like, that's, you know, that's the question always is uh, where do they intersect and do they actually intersect exactly? But even without that idea, like the, the fact is that we are talking about these ideas and we are discovering things through Jewish study and Kabbalistic study that uh, perhaps had been hidden, have been hidden, not perhaps, that have been hidden for, you know, since the beginning. And that begs the question, so are we, supposed to be, are we supposed to be unraveling this? And the answer is yes, insofar as it inspires us to do something positive, not just for the sake of you know, random study, but for the sake of something positive, which is what we're, we're, how we're going to bring it together next week. But it, it's also, no matter how much we study, we still, we're still not going to be able to see anything other than the wall. I, I, I mean, listen, if you, if you now, after this class, look at your, at your house and you start seeing code... Kalakavod, like I, it, amazing. I would also suggest that uh, let us know what you're taking, because I mean, at the end of the day, a human being cannot see it and live. So if you're seeing it, be careful. I'm just gonna say that. Be careful. Um, we're still, even if we know it, we're still not gonna see it. There's a difference between knowing and seeing. If that makes sense, Doris, jump in. What is the point of the concealment? Ah, uh, excellent question. So why create this in the first place? Why create in the first place? Good. This touches on the question of why did God create any of this? In other words, it, when, to understand why God created concealment, it's really to understand why God created this space, so to speak, that seems to be separate and we seem to be to be in this space. Is it just for our amusement entertainment? Is it just for his amusement entertainment? Or is it for something objective to happen? As we'll see next week, it's for something objective to happen, which is to in some ways break out of this space and to have a relationship with the source. It, while being within the source to break out of the source. I don't want to, talk, to say too much, but there is, there is this... Um, this fusion, this magical fusion that is the objective of all of this, which we'll get to next week when we speak about the essence. Rabbi, what do you mean when you said that art reflects light? The Matrix film and other science fiction-esque type books and films and even today gaming, people create worlds and games, right? This whole genre of creating things that challenge the notion of what's real and not is art reflecting the reality of our existence, even if, even if the creators of that art or literature or film don't know the extent of what they're channeling. That's what I meant. It's, if, if I would say this even more simply, what I mean very simply is that the creators, the writers, etc., of The Matrix are touching on some pretty deep ideas in Kabbalah that pre-existed the film The Matrix by thousands of years. Whether or not they study Kabbalah, I have no idea. But if they didn't study Kabbalah, 
that's an even greater expression of this truth because this truth is so embedded in our reality that it's coming out in, in, different, in different ways of expression. Alex, jump in. Yeah, thank you, Rabbi. Um, so two questions. The first is just a really light, a very, very light question because you mentioned, uh, I, I got a smile because you said at the end, we all live in a, in a matrix. And I couldn't tell if you were making a spoof on the Beatles song, We All Live in a Yellow Submarine. Yes, I, I was. I assume you were making a spoof. I was, yes, yes. Okay. It's not a yellow it submarine, was... it's a green matrix, yes. Yeah, I, yeah. so I thought that was pretty funny. On, now, then on a, on a much, much deeper level, you know, you said that, you know, you, you cannot see the, the code and live. Right. And I wondered then if you would speak to, there are times when it seems that you can, in fact, go see the code and come back to life, i.e. the Pardas, the rabbis, four rabbis that um, were in the Pardas, and one Rabbi Akiva came back in peace. But they, it does appear that they did, in fact, uh, uh, see behind the curtain completely, not, in, not as, as knowledge, but and and in experience, and I wonder if you'd say speak to that. Yeah. So, in truth, so you're asking a very good question, and that is, have people seen behind the curtain before? Have they seen the code and lived, not just shortly before their passing, but have they actually come back? In the story that you cited with the four great sages that entered the paradise, paradise means the mystical orchard. It says that one died from the experience, one became a heretic, one went mad, and only Rabbi Akiva entered in peace and left in peace. In other words, only Rabbi Akiva emerged um, intact. Um, that's a testament to him, and it's a testament to how he entered the experience. And I will say that our understanding of that is that he entered the experience in somewhat of a grounded way, not losing himself in that code perception. So in other words, he went into the experience grounded. He was able to come out grounded. But if one truly lost themselves in that experience, they would be lost from this reality. They could not re-enter re, re this matrix um, unharmed. That's the implication of that. So I think the story actually illustrates the point, even as we have somewhat of an exception, the exception is because he was Nichnas B'Shalom, he was Yatsa B'Shalom, he entered in peace and came out in peace. As the Rebbe points out, he entered in a way that was very grounded, so even his experience was somewhat um, grounded. In truth, I cut out a section um, from the original text that speaks about the experience of Moses and other greats and the, and the prophets, those that spoke with God or God spoke with them, to understand, like, what, what did they see, what didn't they see? I cut that piece out because the language is very Kabbalistic and it would take multiple sessions to even just explain what that was saying. So I'll give you the short of it. The short of it is that even the greatest Moses and the greatest prophets and whatever, they still were limited in what they could see. There's still a limitation. It's, we, it's easy to look at this as binary, and I, I've probably been describing it as binary, i.e. either or. Like either you see this or you see the code. It's not as black and white. It's not as, it's not as either or as, as I've made it seem. Even when you see the code, there's different le le levels of that, Right? So tonight, and as we study, we're now notice, now we know that there is a code, okay? But then there's perceiving it and maybe sensing it and then seeing it on which level. 
He talks about how Moses saw it and he breaks it down based on the spiritual worlds. Which level did he see the code? So all of this to address your question. Yes, there are those who saw the code. But the real question is, what level did they see it at? How pure did they see it? It's like you can look at, at the sun, not you, but one could look at the sun with sunglasses. Or you could look at anything through, sungla- through glasses, through different lenses. You could wear different color lenses and now it, 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 it shades, the ex- literally it shades and tints the experience. So if I look at something through rose-tinted glasses, it looks one way. Blue, green, pink, black, um, yellow, it just, it's just going to change what it looks. So like when you have stained glass and the sun comes through a stained glass window, right? Now you have colors in the room. So you have to know what's the light and what's the shade, right? What's the light and what's the glass? What's the pure source and what's the tint? So even as you see it, it might be tinted, it might be shaded. It might look a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit modified from its original. So Moses saw and the prophets saw, but did they see the pure, perfect uh, uh, source? We'll see that next week. We'll see, we'll, we'll, we'll continue this conversation at the beginning of next week's class with that third section that I showed you briefly that we didn't have a chance to jump into. Mom. Sorry, I'm a little slow on unmuting myself. Um, I just wanted to ask a question about the afterlife. Yes. So is this, are we, uh, when we, when the soul goes back, so the soul really goes back, is reunited with the, with the source that made the matrix? Good so question. Good question. Um, your question is in the afterlife, does, that, does the soul have the full experience? Is that the question? Well, that was going to be my second question. Okay, so we're going to discuss that next week. That third section that I showed you briefly, the deja vu section, that we didn't have a chance to get into at the end of the class. So that's going to talk about souls in the hereafter, what their experience is like. And let's save that for then because we'll have a full discussion on that. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, because we're taught that the soul is reunited with its source, and then what? My question was: Does it see? The, does it see this, the code? Right. Okay. So let, let's let's uh, we'll look at that next week, because we have a direct okay. text about that. Okay. So you could save that question. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Pleasure. Questions. Let's take one more. If there is one more. All right. If not, then we'll leave it at that. Okay. Yeah, question? No? I was wondering, yeah. can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. What was the phrase that you had spoken about the Mashiach? It was in Hebrew, and he said it really quickly. Is there any way you can type that in the chat? <laughs> um, re- can you remind me of the context? What, what was I saying about it? Um, anything about it, and I'll remind myself if you tell me something associated with it. What was it in relation to? That's a very good question. Um, uh, Ari, what was the question? The question is, are you talking about the dreaming? About the dreaming part, we'll realize that we were like dreamers? Or no? Uh, I, I will re-listen and I'll 
Okay, if you, okay, yeah, I, I remember saying a few phrases in Hebrew. I don't remember which one now. Okay, so, but if you don't mind, if you could listen to it again and then let me know, I'm happy to, uh, to share that phrase. Okay, okay. Um, here's what I'm going to do, though, in general, is I'm going to send out an email shortly with the, actually, maybe I'll wait till tomorrow because I'll have the recordings. I'll send you the recordings and the source sheet tomorrow, please, God. And um, feel free to follow up with any questions or comments and further discussion. If you want to listen to session one, I sent out that email. You should have received it. So you can listen and re-listen or re-watch both sessions one and two. And again, I look forward to seeing you next week. Oh, quick announcement before we, um, before we close out. We, we just announced uh, a few days ago, that actually yesterday, that we will be doing a, just completely to switch gears, um, in fitting with what has become a modern Jewish tradition, we are going to be doing a December 25th Chinese dinner, just in the spirit of, uh, of the day, December 25th, which is this year is Saturday, Shabbat. So after Shabbat Saturday night, 7.30 p.m., we'll open the evening with the Havdalah ceremony, closing out Shabbat. And then we will proceed with a delicious gourmet all-you-can-eat Chinese dinner, uh, kosher Chinese dinner catered by Chai Peking, our local amazing kosher Chinese place. And um, we will top it off with a movie, The Frisco Kid, plus special surprise entertainment. A special surprise guest will be joining us, all taking place Saturday night, December 25th, starting at 7.30 p.m. We have limited spots available for the dinner based on the location and the caterer. So if you want to get in on this, RSVP as soon as possible, intownjewishacademy.org. You'll find it there. Look at study or programs or whatever it is, and you'll find it there. Join us. We'd love to have you. All right. That's it for tonight. Lila Tov, everyone. Have a good night. And don't, remember, and don't forget, don't remember, don't forget, as long as you perceive the, ma the matrix, and as long as you perceive this as real, we got to be a mensch inside the space. Don't be like, well, I don't have to be nice because it's not real anyway. <laughs> as long as we're, we see this is real, we got we to gotta be respectful and, and be a mensch. All right. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. Lala Tov. Lala Tov.